This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy Podcast. Zapper again. Charge up the paddles. Come on, let's go, let's go. Sorry, Doctor. Hold the compressions. Clear. Straight line. All right, my name is Scott. And this is Rico. All right. This is the Rock and Roll Autopsy. And this evening, we're going to be doing another autopsy, this time on one of our favorite bands, Kiss. You are correct. Rico, is there something that you wanted to say off the top here? Yeah. So um, this is going to be super quick. So, um, Scott, you and people out there aren't going to know this, but you are a professional graphic designer and you do a superb job promoting this podcast and all the graphical things that everybody sees all comes from in between the two of your ears which is pretty cool actually um contrary to popular belief i on the other hand am not a professional sound engineer so you might have noticed over the last few episodes my mic has sounded a little funky. And I think that I've got that worked out. I made a couple of tweaks. Um, still kind of a work in progress, but I think I got it worked out. So just hang in there. All is well. So that's it. All right, man. One other thing. Thank you for that, sir. One other thing is if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate that. On Spotify, it's got the little star doodad. You can go ahead and give us one star if you think we suck. Give us five if you think we're great. Any feedback be greatly appreciated. Absolutely. Are you ready to do the news? What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. This is the news. I am ready to do the news. Um, check this out. So, in March 28th of 2000, Jimmy Page won a libel suit against. UK magazine called Ministry which printed that he tried to revive his dying bandmate John Bonham by using a satanic spell I've got to track that article down yeah that's fascinating I love the whole occult angle of Led Zeppelin yeah I find it fascinating precisely why I put this in here yeah. because I we've talked about Jimmy Page's fascination with the occult and uh and Aleister Crowley and yep. blah, blah, blah. And there's all these weird circumstances around, you know, Robert Plant's, uh, you know, car accident. And we've had deaths in the band. And, you know, were these things the result of... Allegedly, Jimmy Page caused all of that by some kind of dark magic that he was doing. He caused right. Bonham's death and Robert plants car accident all that shit that happened to them in the late 70s apparently jimmy page caused all of that too many dances with the devil too yeah. many uh too many nights with the candles and the ouija board apparently but it's one of the cool things that makes led zeppelin kind of an iconic kind of still to this day there's like uh 
that there's some kind of uh, you know fascination with Led Zeppelin and the, and the uh, the mystic angle of it. All right, moving on. Let's see what we got more Led Zeppelin in the news. March 28th, 1973, Led Zeppelin released their fifth studio album, Houses of the Holy in the UK. The album title was a dedication by the band to their fans who appeared at venues they dubbed Houses of the Holy. Uh, it goes on to talk about the album cover here, this collage of several photographs uh, taken in Northern Ireland by Aubrey Powell of Hypnosis, and it's got children climbing up a, a mountain naked. It's one of my favorite Led Zeppelin album covers. Again, it's got that, it looks like an occultish kind of, uh, kind of thing. Um, and it's an album cover you absolutely could not do today. Yeah, that's kind of the point of that one is, can we, like, where are we with album art now? I mean, it used to be album art was just as important as the music in the album yeah so i mean what i mean where are we now with that can we still have cool album art we can it's kind of interesting now because now that a lot of the streaming services have gone to uh adding video content like youtube has their own streaming service now spotify is adding video content so like you need art that kind of plays while the video is playing without always being having to make a music video for every track on your record so it's kind of cool because we've entered into this phase where they're animating album mm -hmm. covers now. yeah that so, is kind of cool so a static album cover image that you see when you buy it now when you go online actually has movement and animation to it. it's pretty cool to me album covers like super important and so um, I like plenty of records with shitty album art, but I find the album art thing to be important. I don't know, but I'm elderly. I don't know how important it is to young folks, but to me, I still love a great album cover. I love a great package. Do I want to reword Wait that? Wait a minute. Did, hey, <laughs> I don't know what you just said, but maybe you want to reevaluate that. <laughs> maybe we should just move on to the next item. What a great this. idea. In March 29th, 1980, The Dark Side of the Moon, by some band, I don't know who, who did that. Some band spent its 303rd week on the U.S. album chart, beating out the record by Carole King's 1971 long player called Tapestry. So, in in this on March 29th, 1980, it had spent its 303rd week on the freaking charts. Well, man, I don't want to do the math, but didn't Dark Side like come out? Was it 74? 77? I can't remember which. I thought it was... 73? 75? Two? Two. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just guess every year that it came out. Sometime in the, in the mid-70s. Sometime in the 70s. Yeah. But it's pretty amazing. I, I think, uh, and it had, of course, this dominant window here that you're demonstrating in this news segment where it just yeah. was perched atop the charts. Can I just say, it's a record that deserves all of the praise it gets it deserves that ridiculously long stay atop the charts i think there's a legit argument to be made that it might be the greatest rock album of all time it certainly has to be on that list of top five or ten yeah i mean as you've mentioned before that album represents the everything that people were trying to accomplish in the studio they finally did it there yeah and perhaps it was all downhill from there from a certain perspective right yeah i mean you had you had achieved all the uh fidelity that you could at that point yeah. and you know you had done everything you could do with multi-tracks and 
Um, to me, what makes the record so great, though, is not only obviously the music, but the lyrics, the message, the fact that it's aiming for like the biggest of ideas. You know, it's it's going big and it's hitting home runs and doing. Wait so. a minute. What if we? I just thought of this while you were talking. So what if we call? Uh, excuse me. What if we call this album the apex of analog sound engineering? Because once dig this was before digital, right? So right. once digital came along, that's a whole new ball game. So what if we call this the apex of analog studio engineering? It works. Can we call that? I think we. Anybody want to disagree with me on that? March 29th, 1974, the first KISS, a band we'll be talking about later on, the first KISS TV appearance is broadcast as they appear on the musical variety show In Concert. Their performance was recorded February 21st. Yeah. Who would have thought? About that. I don't think I've ever seen that. Um, I don't think, mm, let me think. You know, I see the Midnight Special one where they play Black Diamond. Everybody's yes, seen that one. everybody's seen that one. TV appearances, but I don't know if I've seen this one. Is this the black and white one, or, am I, or is that the other one? I don't know. Like I said, I don't know that I've seen it. Why do I think that? Because I remember seeing clips of something in black and white, and maybe that's this. I'm not sure. You no, know, the Kiss guys wear black and white on their face. That's true. Maybe it's just a close-up, and you Could thought be. it was in black. That is fucking true. Maybe that's it. On March 30th, 1967, um, the Beatles shot the cover, another cover news. They shot the cover of Sgt. Pepper's um, at Chelsea Manor Studios in London. A lot of discussion of, again, another album cover. Yeah, iconic. Um, iconic. Isn't, speaking of Aleister Crowley from yes, earlier, the he answer makes is, an appearance yeah. on that cover. Yep, they put he? it. Well, yeah, again. And Was Paul dead? Is he? I don't know. Well, he did get busted for weed in, in 1970, but was that really him? Have you been one to uh, to this kind of like uh, ponder the Sgt. Pepper's album cover? You ever like lay with the, with the LP in your lap and just stare at the image and try to suss it out? Uh, no, but maybe I should do that. Yeah, that was, uh, that was one of those things that now Sgt. Pepper's wasn't in my household growing up, but... As I got older and I would be at friends' houses and they would have a copy of that laying around, I would find myself like, because I, I knew there was like a lot of conversation around it, some controversy, and so it was always drawn to it. It's like, oh, yeah. well, what is it about this album cover? You know? I've read some articles about the album cover. I mean, and if, we all have looked at it, but I've never really taken time to just dig into Look it. Look at all the faces. Um, yeah. I've thought about the recording and the and the song choices and more than the album cover yeah. that i have questions about some of the song choices that they put in there but which is why i think rubber soul is a better album yeah i was gonna but, say it's like i think sergeant peppers um, it's a little disjointed in the middle right yeah and everybody kind of thinks of it as like oh that's their best record and it's like eh. mm, it's maybe their most well, it's their most popular, famous one, but maybe it's a topic for a different discussion. Yeah. But I, I got—I think we got a lot of comments. I, I personally have a lot of comments about that album in relation to Pet Sounds, for example. So that's maybe a, another topic. But April 1st, 1989, Living Color makes a splash as the musical guests on Saturday Night Live performing Cult of Personality and Open Letter to a Landlord. I really like that song, man. Cult of Personality. 
love, love it. Yeah, it. Love Living Color. Um, yeah. They, yeah, kind of, uh, I, Vernon Reed is a guy that has he a guitar player. He is a freaking player. witch, dude. I love He's him. crazy but good. you know what, dude? A lot of guitar players give him shit, especially for the lead and Cult of Personality because it's so kind of atonal and doesn't really give a shit about I like it because it's that. I love it. I love it because it's atonal. Yeah, me too. It's one of my favorite lead breaks in a song, and I always look forward to hearing it. But he takes, you know, I read a lot in the guitar communities and well, sure. online, yeah. and he takes so much guff as a guitar player, and I love his guitar playing. That solo is like... it's mostly because of that solo? Yeah, but that solo, it goes off-key and it goes off the rails, but it's on purpose, though. Yeah, and it fits Dude knew exactly what he was doing, and again, it fits the message yep. of the song yeah. that it's... People don't just don't get it. People that give him a hard time are just need to shut the hell yeah, up. Yeah, really cool he's, guitar player. He's crazy good, He's got man. his own angle, and I, I dig what he, what the dude does. Absolutely. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. I've been a part of the minimalist shoe community for a little while now. Tried more than one brand with varying results, but the shoes I'm wearing right now are from Zero. That's X-E-R-O. They're based out of Denver, Colorado. Let me tell you, these shoes are incredible. The style I'm wearing right now are the Prio, but they have other styles too, depending on your activity level, whether you're doing some heavy hiking, some road work, or if you just need some sandals for the beach. They're incredibly well put together. The soles come with a 5,000 mile warranty. The uppers come with the Hirachi style strap. So if you need to tighten the uppers up a little bit to get them a little snug to your feet, you can do that very easily without compromising the comfort. The toe box is nice and wide to give your toes lots of room to spread out the way they're intended. Um, Zero shoes look great and they feel even better. They're one of the most comfortable shoes I've ever worn, but don't take my word for it, people. Go to the website. Here's our affiliate link, zeroshoes.com forward slash go forward slash RNRA affiliate. Do your own research. Look at what they have. If you got yourself a pair, you would love them just as much as I do. We are gathered here to remember rock and roll. Rock was born the rambunctious son of country, western, and blues. In the year of our Lord, 1955, on this day, the birth of rock and roll, gifted under the world a gyrating pelvis, a throbbing beat, and a pulsating rhythm, a sound so infectious and rollicking that it would endow previously scrupulous young minds with identity individualism and purpose, thus setting forth a multi-generational pursuit of all that is loud, debaucherous, and unholy. But, sadly, like all earthly endeavors, rock too must perish. Oh, we mourn the loss of rock and roll with its ridiculously old standard bearers still on tour and charging ungodly amounts of mad jack to witness their long past the sell by date asses on stage and with its chauvinism, misogyny and whiteness no longer aligning with modern sensibilities and with its aging 
fist-shaking fan base, kicking every would-be rocker off their proverbial lawn, Rock has indeed passed into the celestial void. May Rock rest in peace in eternal cacophonous slumber. Amen. Thank you for that, Scott. Cool. Welcome back. All right, let's get into Kiss. Uh, the track we're going to talk about tonight is not Beth. No, it's not. It's Detroit Rock City. It's not The Elder. No, we're not going to talk. Maybe The Elder another day. But another tonight, day. we're going to look at... Animalize, nothing from that. What are we talking about? Grunge Kiss. Grunge Kiss. Right? Where, were, where were you in 1997? Do you remember what you were doing in 1997? Oh, my gosh. Uh, no. <laughs> Me either. I don't remember. Um well, I mean, I'm sure I was into this. I can remember, like, wasn't grunge had kind of come and gone at that point. We were firmly in post-grunge. Yeah, by 97. Is that when the song came out, 97? Yeah, and by 97, yes, grunge was kind of in its downturn. We were on our way to getting, like. I think grunge was over. By Nickelback was on its way, and Seven Mary Three, I think, was around the late yeah, 90s, and like the, shit I, like that. I called them the Nirvana babies. Exactly. Because I think grunge was over when dude killed himself. And I think that it was like, because in that you had at that point, Soundgarden had put out Super Unknown. I forget what record Pearl Jam was on. Vitology, I don't remember. But then, and Alice in Chains had already put out Dirt. Maybe they had their third one. I don't remember. You guys have beat me up about this, but I'm just generalizing. I don't remember the exact dates. But Kurt Cobain committed suicide in 94. And at that, to me, grunge was very specific really a two-year window of 92 to 94. And mm-hmm. then after that, it was like none of those bands put out records. All those all those bands' records took a decline after that. Yeah, nobody was doing – people were going away from that because the and, forefathers, so to speak, were dead. Yeah. And so what did Kiss do? They decided to do a grunge album that was about – Four or five years too late. Yeah, you had all the Nirvana yeah. babies coming along. Remember uh, Seven Mary Three? What was the band that did Cumbersome? Was that Seven I Mary I think Three? that's Seven and Mary what Three. what was the other one that did, oh my gosh, there was You Keep Me, Just Won't Get It, You Keep Me Copacetic. Local Age. You, yes, Local there were age. all these, like, I actually liked that song quite yeah. a bit, but there was, and then of course a big one was Bush with Gavin Ross. Bush, you had Nirvana like, that baby. time period was like, the presidents like that alternative post grunge alternative, yep. like, um, uh, what am I thinking of? Um, Veruca salt yep. and, uh, um, and then the punk revival started to come. Around, yes. Like had I had a whole list Blink of my 182 brain, but I and green day yes. and rancid. And so the punk revival was coming up sure. in the wake of it. So where's kiss and all this to your point, they, they decide to make a grunge record a few years too late, a few years too late. And I think, and even then, I think behind the scenes, they were flirting with this idea of the reunion with the original guys. Yeah. Right? And a lot of KISS folk really have this whole timeline down, nailed. And I don't remember. They did the Unplugged. And I don't know if it was – and I think the guys from the Carnival of Souls lineup were on that. And so were Ace and Peter. That was uh, Bruce Kulig and Eric Singer. Eric Singer. Bruce Kulig's then- last album – 
with Kiss is this one. Actually. Yeah. yeah. And I think they had this record in the can, but then the unplug thing took off. And so it was like, oh shit, we got to do a reunion. Yeah. And then this record was kind of shelved. Eric then... Singer came back in 2009, yeah. right? And I think, and again, Kiss fans correct me, but I think this record was shelved and then started to like hit the bootleg circuit a little bit. So they kind of so. had to release it. Yeah. And then they put it out and it was like, to your point, it was a grunge record that was too late for grunge. And Kiss was already reuniting with the original Kiss and doing the whole Psycho Circus thing. Yeah. And effectively at that Psycho point. Circus. But you know what Kiss became at that point, dude? Oh, my when God. When they reunited with Ace and Peter, they stopped being a band that made new music. They officially just graduated to being a nostalgia a, act. A yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I, of a, a vital kind of new. I mean, you can say what you want to say about all the '80s output, but they continued to write new material and put out new records every yeah. two years. Up and up, and then after that, it was like you got Psycho Circus, massive gap in time. You get Sonic Boom, little bit briefer gap in time. You get Monster, and they're done. So they had two more studio records. Yeah, but all the '80s stuff was closer to their the original iteration the style of music anyway yeah once they hit the 90s dude especially with this one this was so off the charts for them and i mean we'll get into it when we start talking about the song but this is so far from where they started that they probably did the right thing by becoming a nostalgia band after that, because this was not even, this is so out of their wheelhouse. You're probably right, but I got an idea. We have developed a scientific method to where we can determine whether or not Kiss's turn to being a grunge band contributed in any way to the death of rock and roll. We have a five point, uh, five point uh, what do i want to call this uh, a, uh, a five point point system <laughs> very nice it is a five point point system please do not try this at home we are amateurs <laughs> we're gonna put this song through uh our rock and roll autopsy scoring system of we are gonna grade this song on gratuitous boomerism boomerism excessive misogyny misogyny wanton whiteness whiteness malignant machismo machismo and culture vulturism vultures first up gratuitous boomerism how do you score this track rico man um yeah i this is this one was a little tough for me because they're they're shit by the time they do this they're in their 40s yeah so they were born in the 50s yeah they're all boomers. they were fully ensconced in boomerism whether they like it or not yeah plus one plus one and yeah. i'm going to agree with that and yeah. because of the fact that they feel like they have to take on the music that the kids are playing yeah demonstrates that they're they're firmly ensconced firmly in, in dad rock territory at that point. right so that's a big which makes them even it's even more boomerism because they're it, they're dad rock trying not to be dad rock reaching hard to what Re the kids were the gen x hit the kids at the time we're doing <sighs> this man this song is a oh, reach i mean it's that's you couldn't have put it better it's such a reach man like i understand trying to explore m new musical stylings like we've talked about other bands who were successful at doing that right right I have some opinions on this song where we'll they get there, failed think. dramatically in certain instances and were very successful in others. So, so yeah, plus one, plus one for a boomerism. All right, next category is excessive misogyny. 
Yeah, I am going to firmly go with a negative. It's a zero. I'm going to go with a negative five because <laughs> no, and and I'll tell you why because in, in my in my personal, it's not in this song. There's in in the the entire grunge movement there was zero machismo. Right. Yeah, there was. No, I don't think so. Yeah, misogyny was not. No. A, misogyny fact, i mean there's i yeah. mean there's none of that in grunge yeah the grunge in fact was a reaction to it was excessive the, misogyny in 80s exactly music. and so and they purposely yeah left all of the uh, all of the sexualization of the rock and roll that, left that it was gone in the grunge scene and so in kiss adopting a new grunge aesthetic <sighs> they jettison all of their murder and high heels and <laughs> and uh all night and let's put the x in sex suddenly it's gone it's, yeah let's singing. put the x in sex christine 16 love gun come on everybody knows all of them yep. so how do you expect me to buy this when they've made the going into this, they were probably each worth about five hundred million dollars that they've made on songs like Christine Sixteen, Love Gun, Who Put the Like Let's Put the X in Sex. So then you want to tell me that they really are believe in this complete role reversal where they're into like self loathing and and like turning the camera back on themselves and really delving deep into their mind and psyche and getting out their personal feelings and how much they hate themselves. You act like your butler's never called off sick. (laughs) You want to talk about a rough day, dude. All right, next, we both agree that's a zero. I'm giving them a negative five on that. (laughs) Is that in our point system? Oh, no, a negative point one. Or negative one. A negative one? Okay. Yeah, but it's still Kiss, so we're going zero. We are a zero. This is highly scientific. Yeah, I'm. It, it, Kiss is still Kiss, whether they try not to be or not. So instead of a negative one, I'm going to go zero on that. This is an interesting one. Wanton whiteness. So, <sighs> yeah, it's rock and roll. Where? Are, how do I want to go with this? This is not. Define wanton whiteness, I suppose. <laughs> well, I guess if a track is like excessively um, unnecessarily white, and so what would what would it what does that mean, right? Yeah. Well, only white people listen to it. I don't think there's very many. Well, I take that back because I, for, at first I was going to say I don't think very many black people are going to listen to grunge, but that is not true because I know plenty who do yep. and have, so yep. I can't say that. I guess if we're def- if because we're using it as a pejorative, right? Like it's a negative thing, right? That, that music would be excessively white, and I guess in this day and age, whenever we are really trying to emphasize and rightfully so the need for diversity. This music comes from a time when things were existed much more in uh, rigid genres, right? Yeah. Not a lot of crossover, okay? Correct. So I guess I would say I'm probably going to score this one a zero on this one too because I don't feel like it's aggressive in any way of being like aggressively... um, monoculturistic yes Ooh, very nice man thanks maybe instead of wanton whiteness me we should call that excessive monoculturistic i don't know if i can say that i don't but you can bring it up every episode we'll just call it wanton whiteness and everybody knows what we really mean by that so is this song monoculturistic from that now 
Uh, so I'm going to give that a zero, too, because I'm not really feeling that. All right. Malignant Machismo. Yeah, it's Kiss, man. Yeah, I don't think Paul Stanley and Gene could. I mean, they're kind of always. Well, Paul isn't the most macho guy, but. He's the most androgynous of the group. He certainly is, but. Wrapped and it's up. not. But the song does have some swagger to it. You know, it. With that, it, that no, it bass does. part and the guitar parts are ballsy. It's got some swagger to it, you know? Um, Listen, man, musically, I like the song. I mean, it's the whole album is really, now that, we, now that we're doing this, we can talk about this. The, whole, the, the entire album just is really an Alice in Chains ripoff, right? I mean, let's yeah. just say what it is. I think the next category is where this conversation yeah. is really yeah. going to happen. I don't feel, I feel like if I'm thinking of malignant machismo, I'm thinking of like, um, what's the song off of uh, Lick It Up that Gene wrote? Fits, it must be love because it fits like a glove, yeah. right? Yeah. He's just talking about his dick, basically. And I would think that that would be where I'm not feeling like the machismo is. in this yeah, because I'm not feeling it. you know they, he talks about like loathing grunge thing. It's a right? self loathing. There's no machismo when you hate yourself, right? Right. So so another zero. zero. But I think the final category in our highly scientific <laughs> here's really the crux of this whole discussion, right? Culture vulturism. Rico, is this song guilty of culture vulturism? So. Can I give my score first, and then I'll answer that question? Absolutely, it's so, your podcast. Um, I, I give this, I give this a twenty on, on the on the culture vulturism. I give this a twenty. So there's there's nothing not vulturistic about this. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm, I'm I give it a plus one as well. It is when I when I hear it. It's funny because I've thought about this a lot. <laughs> listening to this song, I listened to the whole record, Rico, and mm-hmm. I listened to the song probably four or five times yeah. today alone. Yeah. And I love the guitar tones. I love the the meaty double stops that he's Bruce Kulick is playing. Real tasty licks. I love the tone. I, I think love the he production. is. Go- he's great in this he's album. Great he's in. great in this album. I like the production. I think all the performances are really good. The vocal performances, the music. What I hate about it is the fact that it feels so inauthentic to what Kiss is. That's right. And every time I hear it, I just think, "Oh, that's that's an Alice in Chains riff." The one five harmony, the 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 beginning of this song with the phaser on the bass, and yeah. and uh, the feedback in the beginning of the songs, and the feedback that they have at the end. Like there's n- n- Every other bar I listen to this song, I think of an Alice in Chains album. Yeah, it sounds like Alice in Chains. Like, Every, like a direct everything. lift. The whole record. And just to hear like the song titles, like it gets the 90s was famous. The one, the the one word song. song. And it's like, hate, and they're the same. Hate, rain, rain. Jungle. jungle. I know. It's like, it's, oh, it's man, so the way they appropriate everything about grunge 90s and just try to make it work for themselves, it's just inauthentic it's, it's, yeah it lacks any authenticity it, it feels me, stolen uh, it feels so bad it feels gross and it's funny because let me ask you this question yeah. this is one i still cannot answer myself would you rather listen to and let me just give this a little caveat by saying we both are huge fans of 70s kiss so we got totally. nothing but love for 70s exactly kiss. but would you rather listen to 
your least favorite '80s Kiss records, something like Hot in the Shade or Crazy Nights, when they were at when they were doing culture vulturism of hair metal. Yeah. Or would you rather listen to this record where they're doing, where they're aping grunge? Man, where do you come out on that? Because you hate those hair metal. I, I I I am not a fan of any hair metal, and oh, I none of it. And I feel the same way. And I'm gonna like, say I would rather listen to this album than any thought, of the '80s stuff. Is it not? So I kind of thought the same thing. Yeah. And I fucking hate this record, and I don't hate it because the music's bad. Because I don't think it is. I hate it because it just reeks of like. We are just desperate to climb on anything that'll help us be relevant. And I feel the same conflict because when I listen to this, the one part of my brain says, damn, the production quality is so good. And the the arrangement is so good. And the mix is so fucking good. And you can tell how professional this session was. And everything is perfect. And it sounds so great. And the heavy is the right amount of heavy. And the phasers are just right. And the feedback is so appropriately placed. And then the other part kicks in. Like you said, I'm like, Man, but it's such a ripoff. Yeah, but that's Paul Stanley on vocals. It's like if, if someone handed you that record and said, hey, here's this cool grunge band, and you didn't know who they were, yeah, and you would probably like the record. Or you would. Be like, or you would be like, okay, well, this is derivative of the grunge scene, but they're younger guys. I get it. That's the scene. They're hopping on. I think it's the combination of their age, again, the gratuitous boomerism, yeah. and everything else. We scored more zeros on this than we did our last autopsy because and i think the reason why is because all these other categories of things that they would typically be guilty of that's right and they're not doing what they do i know i know they are on they are unnecessarily macho they are misogynistic you know but they do make on a, on a, you know, they, normally, normally on 85% of their, like 99% of their, they'd get buried in this autopsy. Yeah. They'd be, they'd be buried after the second cat after the second category. Right. Except for this one. They're not being themselves. And it's like, but here's the thing with the hair metal thing is that I'm not a fan. There's some hair metal songs that I like. I'm not crazy about the genre. Eh. You know, I was more of a thrash guy back in the eighties, but. And I was doing I classic see, rock during that time. Yeah, I love classic rock uh, too, but I could see the hair thing as being a natural evolution of what they were in the 70s, mm-hmm. whereas this doesn't feel like that, you know? Right. And so this just feels like this is what's in style, and we got to try to do this too. But if you're on, think about, let me ask you this, because this, this song's been fucking with my brain, dude, trying to suss for out. This, and me for the same reasons. Go ahead. Okay, here's another like kind of like uh, mind exercise you can do. Why do we give I Was Made For Loving You a pass when it's the same goddamn thing? It's them looking like, oh my gosh, we're no Appropriating longer. disco for their own purposes. Yeah, because at that point in the late yeah. 70s, they had started to lose fans because their their t- fan base was 12. And then by the time they turned 16, You're right, man. they moved on to Judas Priest. They started doing this shit before 1980 even hit. Right. They did it with disco. Then they tried the concept album. Then they were on the hair metal. They then were they... doing anything. Oh, my so God. And then you listen to like the Unmasked record with like, with like Shandy on it. They were yeah. doing like just blatant pop, you know? And it's like so... How, why do we give I Was Made For Loving You a pass, which is them just trying to write a disco hit in 78, 79, but them trying to write a grunge album in 90s whatever bothers us? 
I think because what what year do you do you know if you don't it's fine. Do you know what year I was made for love and you came out? I think it's on Dynasty. I think that's 79, I think. It's so, 78, 79. If it was 78 or 79 was right in the fucking middle in the, of the heyday of disco. Yes. So yeah. that song came out at a good time at least it was timely it Whereas was timely this, i see where you're and going. it wasn't bad right i love that song. it's a great song and yeah. it came out right at the peak of disco so it fit right. in perfectly like when they did the star wars disco and everything in everything disco version was fine because it came out this album came out a few years too late maybe maybe if this album would have come out in like 92 or 93 Maybe it would have been received a little bit differently. A lot of perhaps a lot of '80s bands tried to do the grunge thing yeah. in the '90s. Motley Crue fired Vince Neil, hired John Karabi, did the self-titled '94 record. That you you're not a Motley Crue fan? Pull it up on YouTube and listen to it. You'll shit your pants. It's their Carnival of Souls. It's just. It's culture vulturism. Well, I and think Kiss Def the- Leppard did the slang record, mm-hmm. which was their attempt at grunge. They're, all these bands did it because they were just trying to stay alive, man. You know what I mean? The scene changed right out from under them. It's just a crazy thing. Well, and you know why I think Kiss did a better job of ripping off grunge than those bands did? Because throughout their entire career, like it or not, they were just more professional than, the, than those other guys. I mean... They they didn't they didn't wreck themselves with like shitloads of coke and all. They never did any of that stuff. They were pros. They were about pros being being money machines and being professional. And they stuck to their guns the entire time. So I think that they were just better at ripping disc or ripping grunge off because they were just professionals at that point in time. Well, let me ask you one final question yeah. before we wrap. Would would you go back to this song or this record and ever listen to it just for kicks and giggles? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I mean, I'm I'm conflicted about this album in the same way that you are. I I really like it. It's so well done. I can't. I don't know how you feel, but I wanted to specifically mention the vocals because I hate the vocals. I I hate I hate them. And it turns me off, especially the t- the the songs where Paul has that the the low soft beginning part, which he's terrible at. It's I don't think people and maybe they didn't realize that these guys in the '90s, like Cornell and um um fucking I can't think right now, but these guys could actually sing. Yeah. And Paul yeah, Lane Staley and Chris Lane Cornell, Staley, all they they all had, could they actually sing. Yeah. Paul Stanley can only sing in the upper register. It's hard singing lower register and soft like that, and he's just not good at it. See, I I didn't think I thought and his... it hid hid the vocals in general. Even the song "Children of the" that one that anthemic song that Gene Simmons sings. I don't remember the name. They they're just not. They just don't have the vocals that match this style of music, and I it took vocally... me out of it. They sounded fine. It just, I, it just again, it sounded like karaoke. Maybe you're making a better argument as to why it did because of you know of you know, vocal range and to sing the grunge stuff. He's got to live in a different register that we're not you know accustomed to hearing Paul in or that yeah. he doesn't typically do. The parts that annoyed me was just the lyrics were like forced in places. It's like I hear him at the end of the verse in Jungle where he's got to fit in the whole line about the baby, and it's like it just sounds like he's just <laughs> forcing it in there. Yeah, because the lyrics just aren't. 
they aren't breathing because he's trying. I don't know. It's just not listening to Paul Stanley trying to sell me that he self-loathes. I just have trouble with that. That guy who's telling stories about these fake stories about going to the doctors and the girl with the big tits, right? Remember <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, the, and the animal. I think it's the animalized. The animalized live, live tour. Yeah, I'm supposed to believe that that dude now in his 40s hates himself and is yeah. is reflecting on how dark his soul is right it would have been much better i think obviously if they had just said hey you know what this grunge stuff it's cool if that's what they want to do but that's not my trip man i'm paul stanley and you know i got this great life and i'm a rock star and i'm gonna own it uh, the rap guys were doing that well sure so why couldn't the rock guys do it um Maybe that's where the wanton whiteness comes in. So what's your score? Yeah, I only have two. That's all I've got, too. So, so that... four. So this song did not contribute to the death of rock and roll. Well, yes, it did. Right? Weren't we on a 10 scale here? I thought we had to get eight out of eight points out of 10. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. Boy, we were so scientific that I forgot how the scale worked. <laughs> you know what the problem is? Is We brought math into this fucking podcast, and I'm doomed. What a giant mistake, man. <laughs> so you're telling but me. But we reserve the right to pass judgment regardless of the score, right? We do. It's our yeah. podcast. Yeah, we do. This, so this scored a four, which means that according to our highly scientific system, it did not it did contribute, not contribute to, the to the death of rock and roll. It's got to score eight or more. Eight correct? or more, yeah. Well, God, our system sucks. I still, it's, because, I still think that this song did contribute, just because it's just such a rip off of Alice in Change. But it's good, and it's good though at the same time. Well, they've done it. I mean, also, but let's be realistic Damn. though. This is Kiss. This okay? song is fucking with but, me so bad. But let's talk about the whole this album, before we wrap briefly. Let's yeah. make a point here about yeah. why they were able to execute a rip off at such a high level. This is Kiss Incorporated at this point in their exactly. career. They are a multi-million they dollar are a corporation now that can pay for the finest producers, the finest equipment, the finest studio time. And I don't know if they used outside writers on this in the past. They have. I think Bruce Kulick wrote most of it. But, um, but the point being is this is a professional operation. And if they decided they wanted to make a freaking opera record, they could probably you know make one that sounded legit because this is, these guys were yeah. professional musicians operating with professional resources and so if they wanted to make an Alice in Chains rip off they're going to be able to do it convincingly that, that's you know? what I was trying to say before the difference between Led Zeppelin and Motley Crue and these guys this is Kiss Incorporated right. a multi hundred million dollar corporation that can do anything successfully because they just have the money and the professionalism and the resources to be able to do it yeah and so they of course they were going to be able to pull this off sonically but it just was appropriated and i wish i could get past dis disingenuous it. and i can't get past it uh, yeah i just wish i could get past how gross listening to this record makes me feel because i feel like the performances are good you know yeah. and i feel like the music is good but i just agree but i just hate what it means and i, I don't know yeah anyway kiss you live to see another day you live to see another day kiss thanks for listening adios
Let me tell you, so the lyrics to real rock music is nothing more than satanic cyanide. Get it out of your house, throw it out, and burn it. It has no place in the house of the righteous. Guys, it was like a mystique. There's no mystique anymore. Follow us on Twitter at RNR Autopsy, or you can send an email to rockandrollautopsy at gmail.com. And if we run across anything good, we'll mention it in a future episode. Thanks for listening. Later.